Yo, it is Stocks and Bars, the stock market hip-hop podcast where we talk about all things financial. And today I have a special guest. And me and this special guest, we're going to talk about embracing the struggle. Everybody goes through a struggle. It is going to make you a better version of yourself. So stick around as we have this conversation about things we went through and how it made us better. Let's go. I got my clique ready to use the money they got From jobs and courage and teaching them that it's not so hard I'm doing this, making investing pop You law, it's extra, you tuning in to Stocks and Bars Yo, it is Stocks and Bars And let me tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, who I have with me Alright, my Empower Empire Network has started to extend a little bit further and this is how it works, okay? So the young lady that I have with me today actually went down to FinCon and I saw that she was on the list and I said I needed to be able to see what she was talking about. She was doing a presentation about YouTube. Unfortunately, I think it was on a Saturday and I was gone at that time and I missed it. So I said to myself, I'll catch the replay because they were going to end up uploading everything. And I said, I'll watch it then. So I saw that they did everything and I'm like, wait a minute, I can reach out to her. Let me do that instead. So I shot her a message and luckily she accepted. Now, normally things don't always go my way, but this time it did. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome to the show, Justine Nelson from Debt Free Millennials. How's it going with you today? Uh, thank you so <laughs> much for having me. It's Monday at the time of this recording, so this is like the perfect way to start off my week with a good sit-down chat about money and life. I love doing these, so thanks for having me on the show. Yes, thank you. And for those of you who do not know, this woman erased her debt. Now, we all have some form of debt, <laughs> some good, some bad, but she erased it. Now, we're going to talk about today embracing the struggle, all right, because I am a personal believer in that the struggle is what makes you, you. You have to go through something to understand the value, the meaning of it, because if you don't, then you go about life feeling privileged. And that right there is a disadvantage because you don't fight. And if you don't have any fight, it's very easy for you to get beat up fast. So embracing the struggle i'll kick things off here all right so i would not be the person that i am today if i was not the kid born in brooklyn new york all right mm. i would not be who i am if i didn't see what i saw on those streaks i would not be who i am if i didn't have the friends at the time that i had I would not be where I am today if I did not see those things and make decisions based upon what I saw. So I embraced my struggle. There's a lot of statistics that show that that struggle would have inundated me, but I am still standing. And I want everybody to know that the struggle that you are going through right now is going to make you the most improved version of yourself. So with all of that, Justine, the floor is yours. Is there a struggle that you can recall? As a matter of fact, what is the earliest struggle that you can recall that you went through that made it to you being you right now? 
I think for me, it goes back to my time in college and I was a sophomore and I was sitting, I was in a sorority house at that time and I was just kind of going through the motions blindly in terms of what I was going to do to pay my tuition and have a little bit of fun money on the side to go have the big college experience that I wanted. And I remember my mom calling me while I was doing my homework and she went to tell me that she was laid off from her job after working more than 25 years with this company and that her and my dad could not support me financially through school like they were. And so she really pushed me to say, Justine, you can do this and you're going to have to go get a job. And I think at that time, I just got so comfortable relying on my parents Mm -hmm. and using, I I mean, I had part-time jobs, but I was really just, as soon as I got the money in, the money was going out (laughs) and I was spending it on other stuff. So I feel like that was the first time that as an adult, I needed to really look out for my basic needs. And I remember really struggling with that. How was, how was I going to afford tuition? How was, how was I going to do all of the things that I wanted to do and get the experience out of college that I wanted? I wanted to study abroad. I wanted to go out with my friends, go to game days. And how could I afford that on my own? And I think that was kind of that first initial jump into taking ownership of my finances. And it was hard. Hmm. I remember one of the first jobs that I got when I was in college was I worked at a buffet called (laughs) Sirloin Stockade. (laughs) And I made about $5 an hour uh, plus tips. And, you know, buffets, like people get their own food. Right, right. So it was funny because I would get maybe a dollar, two dollars here left on the table. And just if you've ever been at a buffet, Mm -hmm. it's just mountains of plates and uneaten food. And it was a lot of time on my feet where it's like, oh, wow, this is a humbling experience. (laughs) This is a very humbling experience. And I really had to work my butt off. Uh, to make that happen. And I pivoted into working uh, at Chili's as the server. And so that was a little (laughs) bit of an upgrade from the buffet. And I was able to make better tips at Chili's. I worked at Chili's all throughout college. So I feel like that was my first, you know, experience, just kind of owning it and figuring it out on my own. So that was the struggle initially. The struggle is real. And I love the struggle. I think about times from when I was a kid and my mother had me young. She was 18. And I remember growing up being in apartments and I remember vividly not being able to have the things that my friends had. Right. This is like when Nintendo first started coming out and my friends had it. They had the console. Sometimes I lie and say I got it. <laughs> Just to I fit love in, Nintendo. You know? Wait, what kind of Nintendo was it? The original Nintendo. So we're talking about the original NES system when that first came out oh, in like wow. 80, yeah, like eighty five. So when that came out, everybody had, was talking about Mario and having it. 
and I wanted to be a part of that. So I did a couple of things as a kid that I should not have done in order <laughs> to try to get those get those games. And I'm not proud about it, but at the same point in time, it made me who I am. I appreciate that I went through that struggle to understand now that I can be able to tell my kids what I went through. So hopefully it resonates with them at some point in time. Because, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it, kids, it takes a little bit for it to sink in, for it to be reality. Because their reality is completely different. But anyway, the struggle. If it weren't yeah. for that, I would not understand the value of what it meant for $50 for the video game. At that time, I yeah. think the console was 150 I don't know. I didn't get it until later, but... I wouldn't understand that now. So from those struggles, what is something that you now fully comprehend that you learned from that experience? I'll give you an, another example that happened after college as I was paying off $35,000 in student loan debt. And at that time, I got my first job, my degrees in marketing, and I was working at an advertising agency uh, as an intern making $10 an hour. And while I was doing that, I was living with a roommate and I drove a 2002 Ford ZX2. They don't make them anymore. <laughs> they only made them for like three years. And I was driving during an ice storm when I was living in Kansas City. That's my hometown. And I was stopped at a red stoplight and a person behind me just could not brake fast enough and slid on the ice and rear-ended me mm. so hard that it totaled the uh, it totaled the car, it shredded the back bumper completely and it bent the frame. So I was driving this car without a bumper and I had to make a choice at that time. So this was a big, at the time I didn't realize this, but now looking back, this was a big decision that I made for myself financially because I had two options. One, I could take uh, the salvage title for the vehicle and then take a cash out value from mm -hmm. my insurance company because it was deemed total. And I think the cash out value was something like $3,200, actually a lot more than what the car was worth. I was about to say, that's a lot. <laughs> I would have thought or, they would yeah, like 500 bucks. <laughs> no, it, it, it was significant actually. Or I could, I could actually get rid of the car completely and then take out a car loan and get get a new car. And I remember sitting in that car and really having a debate with myself, just like, what am I gonna do? I'm on this debt-free journey. I've committed to paying off my student loans. What would it look like if I added a car loan and mm. added to my debt? What does that mean for the next five, 10 years of my life? What does how does that snowball into what I really wanted. So I had to make a choice. And at that time, I thought, no, what do I really want? I wanted to travel more. Travel was really important to me. I wanted to eventually leave the Midwest and I was ready to live in a different city, live in a high rise and have fun with my money. I wanted to go out on the happy hours and the sushi dates and mm -hmm. go to concerts. And I just thought if I add another monthly payment, that is money that takes away 
from the bigger goal that I have for my life. And so I decided to take the cash value for the car, keep the salvage title. And I said, I'm going to take that $3,200 and throw it towards the student loan debt. And I will just figure out what I'm going to do with this bumperless car, which (laughs) is not very safe. (laughs) But uh, it was, I drove it like that for three months and my dad is very mechanically inclined and we ended up going to a you pull it junkyard. So you pay like five bucks to go through junkyards. And then whatever you see, if you have the tools, you can take off these, you know, salvage cars. We found the exact same model, same color bumper as my Ford CX2. I like, I kid you not. It was the exact same thing. (laughs) The bumper completely intact. And so my dad's just over there like, yep, yep, yep. We can unscrew this. Here we go. And we paid $25 for the replacement bumper. And then my husband ended up installing it. Mm. And I drove it like that until we sold it in 2015 before we moved to San Diego. So it's crazy because that car accident happened in 2012. So yeah, I I had that car for a really long time, actually. So I, I just think, had I not done that and had I taken the car loan, where would you be now? This debt free journey would yeah. have looked a lot different. Yeah. I don't think I would have, you know, made the big move to California when we did because I would have had extra debt to get rid of. Right. And it was really important to me that I moved after I became debt free. I got a similar car story for you. Now, my oh, very my very first car was an 86 Cutlass Sierra. It was a two-door Cutlass Sierra. It had the bucket seats. I mean, it was a, a nice car for a kid who just started driving. <laughs> Do they even make those cars anymore? No, that is a, that yeah. is a long, yeah, I didn't long think car. So, so <laughs> my dad got the car for me. He paid $500 for it. And he gave it to me after he ended up getting a new car and that got passed down to me when I was in high school. The problem with this car was one, it had a purple bumper, okay? And it was a similar thing where that car was in an accident, my dad got it, it had basically like a cleft lip in the front and then we ended up taking that off and got a bumper from the junkyard just like you did, except for we weren't as lucky to have the same color. It happened to be purple, all right? So I had a gray car with a purple bumper for the longest time. The other thing with this car was the radiator would not kick on automatically, all right? So whatever toggle switch that the thermostat was hooked up to did not work. So we had to manually switch this car on. (laughs) So I would be driving. And while I drive, I have to keep an eye on the temperature gauge to make sure it did not go over a specific temperature. Because if it did, then it could overheat, it can crack the block, all of that. So that struggle from the car right there made me appreciate vehicles that I have now. Because now, I understand what it takes to take care of a car fully, Mm. all right? Then I also appreciate the fact that I'm not getting a car that I have to fix (laughs) that often. Now I make sure that if I get a car, it's a very dependable vehicle 
and I'm going to do my very best to keep it as dependable as possible and teach that to my kids. Keep your feet off my seat. (laughs) (laughs) Keep the junk out the back. This is daddy's car. That's not how we roll in here because I'll quickly put you in that car over there to understand what it is to take care of it. Yes. I do think that that first experience with your your car can teach you so much about just responsibility yes. as a car owner and thinking about, okay, I know from previous experiences that cars do not last. <laughs> right. And <laughs> so what so what can I do to prepare my finances to make sure that I'm staying on top of the car that I currently have because the cheapest car that you will ever buy is the one you already own. Yes. And then yes. knowing that okay, if cars have a specific shelf life and I need to find a replacement car, how can I start saving the cash for that now? now right. So that when the time comes, I'm prepared. Uh, this is so funny that we're talking about this because over the weekend I was driving, um, I since moved to LA now and I was driving back down to San Diego for Thanksgiving and we could tell being on the highway, something fell off with, with our Subaru. And so I was talking to my husband, Kyle, and I was like, I think we need to go see a mechanic about this. And by the way, we need to get, you know, the tires replaced. It's time Mm -hmm. for that. We need to get the oil changed. And I didn't panic about that cost because I know I have a car maintenance fund. A reserve for it. Yep. A reserve. Exactly. (laughs) A reserve to take care of those needs. And so something is going to go wrong with your vehicle. That That is the way of life. That is how cars operate. But if you have the, the funds set up for that, it makes it a lot easier. You're not making, you know, quick decisions about your vehicle. It's just, I'm calm. I can shop around for mm. the best price, talk to mechanics and make an informed decision and know, okay, I am going to be spending over a thousand bucks on this next uh, trip to the mechanic. And it's needed to make sure that can last. Cause the way that I see it is $1,000 one time is a lot better than trying to drop you know, 20 grand on a new vehicle or have a $400 monthly car payment for the next five years. Yes. Yes. So which one do I want? (laughs) We're on team (laughs) save money on that one. (laughs) Yes. All right. I got a a good question, a good question for you concerning relationships, (laughs) right? Because I believe firmly that the partner you pick in your life is the either worse or best decision that you're going to make, right? <laughs> it is going to be... <laughs> well, I hope it's the best. <laughs> well, you know, this, this, this is the day and age where people do things a little differently. So the partner that you choose for your life, your mate, is going to be very critical on your journey in whatever it may be, finance, religion, whatever it's going to be, okay? So tell me about the conversation that you had with your boyfriend or husband or whatever at the time when you had this conversation about what your debt-free journey is going to look like and how did they react? Ah, okay. This is good because I had this conversation with him while we were dating. So my husband and I met my senior year of college and he was a grad student. 
And so I had graduated. I got my first notification in the mail uh, from Department of Education saying I owed $230 monthly minimum payments for the next 10 years. And that's that was another point in my life financially where it was like, what am I going to do with this? Am I really going to be in debt for the next 10 years <laughs> and hold myself back? So I made the decision to start learning about personal finance right after school, like intentionally learning about how to pay off debt. And I remember when I got really disciplined with it and started budgeting every single month, which is the number one tool that got me to pay off Mm. the debt so quickly. Um, I talked to Kyle about it and he was in full support of me going after it. Mind you, he was a grad student and he was getting a grad, uh, like a research assistant salary of like, oh, it was so stupid. It was something like 20 grand a year, maybe not even. Um, So he was living off of ramen noodles and free meals (laughs) that he could find. The college diet that we all know about. Yeah, The the college (laughs) diet. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And (laughs) when we made the decision to move in together, uh, he was still working uh, in grad school and I was doing my salaried marketing position. And we ended up getting an apartment in section eight housing actually. And it, it was 750, $700 a month. It was $700 a month in rent. And that was a very humbling experience for, I think, both of us, actually, because it was in a building that desperately needed updates. Uh, you know, the walls were really thin. <laughs> Another college uh, experience. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we had to watch our friends who had graduated already and getting these awesome corporate careers and getting these either very nice luxury style apartments or buying their first home. And here we were, you know, just trying right, to like, yep. yeah, just kind of live in this very, um, questionable housing unit. But again, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned through these struggles is that everything is temporary. Yes. And yes. change change is imminent. Like you have to embrace the change and just know that this is a season and it won't last forever. Right. Just like paying off your debt, it can be as long or as short as you want it to be. Just know that it's temporary. If that time is going to pass anyways, how can we make the most of it? And we ended up living in that apartment for two and a half years and uh, said goodbye to it in 2015 and then made our way to San Diego where life completely changed. And so I think going back to your original question about relationships and, and whatnot, um, and how I approached my finances, Kyle, I was very fortunate. He was in full support and he had some student loan debt at that time, um, but was really good at saving. And uh, he was able to pay off his student loan debt very quickly. And he actually introduced me to responsible credit card usage. I had, I had no. <laughs> that um, existed. <laughs> yeah. I like, I, I was like credit cards. No, like people get in credit card debt and it's high interest. And he's like, actually you can get really cool points and rewards mm-hmm. and travel for free with credit cards. And, 
and use this to your advantage. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. So he had been really good about taking out a credit card when early on in college. And he was just, you know, at first only put gas money on it and paid it off immediately. And then as he was able to kind of get used to the whole billing cycle, because it's not like a debit card. Debit card right. is Straight instant. out. Yep. Once it, yeah. Once it's paid, it's gone. Whereas the credit card, you got to wait to the end of the month, get that bill, pay off the bill in full. Uh, so he really introduced me to a different way of handling my finances where I could also get uh, some perks that fit my lifestyle. Because right. like I said before, I love to travel. So it was just, this makes sense. To get a travel card. So yeah. I, yeah, I was really, really lucky that him and I started talking about that early on. And so when I think about people who are just starting to have a relationship or they see the relationship moving to the next step, like it's getting more serious definitely talk about your finances be transparent about that. What kind of debt do you have? What are some of your financial goals that you have for your yourself and for you and your partner in the future? What does that look like? Yeah. What are some things that you want to save for investing? Like, what are you doing for your investments? If anything, and if it's okay, it's okay that you don't know. If you're like, I have no idea how the stock market works. Well, there's this YouTube channel called Wincrease Team <laughs> that can help you <laughs> learn all about that. It's the plug. <laughs> <laughs> that Thank was, you. You just teed me up. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. I didn't set this up, ladies and gentlemen. That was completely genuine right there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you the question, what is the perfect time? And then you, you hit it right there. You know, when you start that, you see things going into that direction, escalation. That's when you have to really put it in gear. Do you believe and there's think, a, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and I think you can kind of get a sense for, sometimes you can kind of get a sense for how that person may operate with their finances based on how you see them spend when you are together. What are their spending habits look like? How do they talk about uh, money? How do they talk about debt? And so you can kind of get a feel for that. Also, I think, and something that I haven't really seen a lot of uh, from personal finance influencers. I think a lot of our financial behavior is a result of how we were raised and <laughs> what our childhood. Ask that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, I 100% agree with you on there because I think you have to have a basis somewhere. The fruit don't fall far from the tree, right? So I think that. Most people have their habits developed before they even knew they developed. Their parents, their grandparents, their friends, all of them have an influence upon how they conduct themselves somewhere. And then I'm also a firm believer of how you do one thing is how you do everything. All right. So if you apply yourself vigilantly, chances are in every category of your life, well, majority of them, I'll put it that way. There's a, a high chance that you're probably going to be meticulous in this category and that one and that one too. And it's going to take you some energy. So you're probably going to have one that you fall off on because life is also balance. That's also something that you keep in mind. But yes, I agree with you. Um, so that leads me to the question here. You know, 
what role did your parents or your friends play in the development of your financial um, thinking? Yeah. Uh, so my dad was a blue collar worker, worked on HVAC systems. So he frequently would work in dangerous situations, boiler rooms, rooftops where, you know, it's like teen digits outside. It's mm. just freezing cold, uh, below freezing or like boiler rooms where it's just boiling hot and he could electrocute himself. All Your dad things. is the man that everybody envisioned like in cartoons of the man's man. And <laughs> Yeah. Also mechanically inclined. Yes. So anytime something was wrong, but I think he really instilled in me, you have to take responsibility for uh, yourself and for your possessions, yes. such as like the car. And so they, he has a very strong work ethic and he always encouraged both my parents really encouraged me as soon as I was of working age I think it was 15 when I got my first job working at a pizza place as a cashier that job was awesome because I got free pizza (laughs) all the time Uh, but you know this I think they instilled in me the value of a strong work ethic and nothing comes to you for free. Mm. And if you want something, you got to go out and get it and work for it. And I think that kind of helped me see, okay, I'm definitely going to have to work for the things in my life. And then how can I like continue to build that up to what I actually want? They also were the first, I guess my parents, were the first individuals who introduced me to a debt-free life. They had been taking the Dave Ramsey course back way back when, like this was like 20 years ago. And when I graduated college, they gave me one of Dave Ramsey's old books and I was like, kind of eye rolled at it. (laughs) And I started flipping through it after I got my student loan notification in the mail And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I could do this. Maybe this doesn't have to take 10 years like the Department of Education is telling me it will. Maybe (laughs) I could cut that in half. Maybe I could do this in five years. And when I set that goal, I was going to be debt-free in five years and pay off the 35 grand. I got so diligent with it that at one point I was putting... $1,000 $1,000 per month towards the student loan debt. Because remember, I was living in Section 8 housing yeah, you had a and bit. I was I was living very cheaply. I basically lived like I was still a college student. However, I did allow for fun things like travel and I traveled cheaply to Florida, California, Puerto Rico and Colorado. And during that time, I was able to pay off the debt in uh, two years, five months is what it ended up taking me. Nice. So I... I set the goal for five years and then I made it like in half of that time. So I think I really credit my parents for the strong worth ethic and then kind of taking me down this path of, Hey, you can find resources by reading books, going online and finding uh, personal finance. Well, now I love that now there are content creators out there who are talking about money, especially for millennials and Gen yes. Z and for the younger generations, because I, 
I do credit Dave Ramsey with the whole debt snowball method and teaching people how to budget. But honestly, gosh, there's just so much more that I feel like he's missing that I'm finding from other individuals. And I love that. Don't get all of your money information from one, one resource. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Go out and research. Find the people that you click with, whether it's you, whether it's me or somebody else. Or maybe it's all of us. Maybe you have a handful of like, these are my five, you know, podcasts, podcasts that I like to listen to about money or YouTube channels that I love uh, watching. This is where I'm getting my information. I'm, I'm researching. I'm going out there and figuring it out. And I, I love that about the personal finance community in general. That yes. has just snowballed into what it is today. I agree with you. Ramsey is old school. He's old school. And let's be honest, how many of us want to listen to advice from an old white dude? This is is reality. This is 100% reality. I can't relate to it. I I can't. And I understand the principle. I get it because I'm in the personal finance space now. But at the point in time when I was wanting to get that information, there was nobody who looked like me. And this is just something that I came to the realization of after I stepped into this space, because I realized that it's a whole lot easier for someone who comes from the areas that you're in that can relate to you on different aspects that uh, Dave Ramsey can't do, you know, and and there's no Mm -hmm. disrespect to him whatsoever. I think the message that he teaches about teaching people how to use their money it's a great one, right? But again, it's old school. <laughs> it's, it's old school. It's it, not for everybody. Yeah, it, there's a lot of methodologies in it that are ingrained in how he approached it from back at that time. But as you alluded to, things have changed, you know? And if you don't catch up with times, you'll get rolled over by them. And it, it, it'll happen mm-hmm. to you really fast. Um, it's funny you mentioned your first job because my first job was my. Yeah, my first job was a, a paper route. <laughs> um, I, this is going to lead into a question now. My first job was a paper route, and then my second job was like at Taco Bell, which happened to be like in my school for lunch. So I would leave early from class to go to the lunchroom to go work for the Taco Bell that was in our school. And I would get paid like in your high school. Yeah, it was in my high school. Yeah, this this your was, high school had yeah, a Taco Bell in it. Yes, this, this is how advanced we wow. were back then. This was in Alaska. All right, so we had a, a Taco Bell and a Subway in our school, wow. <laughs> and we worked it. So the, the students in the school worked in the cafeteria, and we got to leave like fifteen minutes early from our class to go and you know do what we needed to do. And I got paid like five bucks an hour or something like that. And needless to say, lunch was only about an hour. So I only got five dollars. So, but... so you only got five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to eat for free. So that was the the bonus of it. And you know how Subway they weigh all your food in order to do to give you what it, it cost or whatever. At that point in time, they did and. I got to eat pretty good back then. <laughs> nice. I've always been a go-getter. I can remember very early on at like seven and six years old. I remember vividly that I tinker. Okay. I, I will take things apart. If something is broken, it's very easy for me to look at it and say, all right, this isn't right. Okay. Get a screwdriver, open it up, fix it, and then put it back together. I remember this early as 
as bright as day for my cousin fixing his stuff. So my question to you is, do you remember a time that when you were younger that you can relate to now? It's like, man, this has always been in me to do what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, that was writing. I loved, I loved to write. I can remember, I think one of the very first stories that I wrote, I was nine or 10 years old and it was like a, like a robbery. It was like a mystery story that I had written about. And I loved, I loved putting that together. I loved using my imagination to create stories. And I was, yeah, nine or 10 years old. That's always, I've always loved to read and to write. I've had a journal since I was mm. 12, maybe. And I still journal to this day. Had I not leaned into that, I wouldn't have, I, I wrote my very first book this past year. Yes, yes. I published a book called uh, The Investing for Kids Activity Book. You can find it on Amazon. And I never thought that I would write a personal finance book, let alone for kids. This is for ages eight to 12. Okay. But I do find that some of the activities are good for high school aged students too, because there's a really strong investing section. And then also just a good refresher for parents. I've had other parents come up to me and say, oh, like, I kind of forgot about how index funds work. I liked how you talked about compound interest and, you know, what to look for in the stock market. So um, I had I not followed that interest, I don't think it would have led me to this opportunity that I've had now. And I hope I hope that I can continue to write and publish books. It feels good having author behind my name when it was something that I had done and thought about when I was young. That is that's awesome. always been in me. Like I I like I got terrible handwriting. I don't know if you do. <laughs> I got I, I got subpar handwriting. I'm gonna give myself a little bit of props because I can read it. Okay. I just happen okay. to write really small, all right? And that's what irks a lot of people is my handwriting is small. And on top of that, when I get really into it, it gets smaller and it gets messier because I'm writing stuff down so fast and it's going through my head at the same time as the pen is moving. <laughs> and it becomes illegible to other people. But <laughs> I, I- Well, if you can read it, it's good. Then you have your thoughts out and have like your deepest, darkest secret on a notebook in public and then nobody could read it (laughs) it's my own hieroglyphics (laughs) yeah exactly I love writing for the fact that it lets things out and I often tell a lot of people if there's any ideas you have as a matter of fact this is I got one of these I got one of these like I keep one of these beside me because ideas come to me regularly and Oddly enough, they come to me at night. Like I'll wake up sometime and write it down and I can go back to sleep. They come to me in the shower. Like I have a lot of ideas that like this this podcast, like I was just sitting there and like, oh, okay, I can think of that too. And then I'll come out, I'll write it down. I'm old school. I still write a lot of things. My buddy was just making fun of me (laughs) that everyone uses a phone, but I still like the 
I don't know. I, I like the whole physicality of it, of getting it out and I, seeing I it. And, and it's something real at that point. It's like, ah, you know, I'll I'll still do some old school. I'll put it on the refrigerator. My kids still do yep. it. You know, I I like seeing it because it becomes real after it's yep. on paper. Yes, I like using a blend of both. I okay. like having a notebook, a planner for the writing planner, out what are the, the planner. T- yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The planner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yes. Yes. I love using using planners, especially to write out what are my top three like tasks that I want to get completed for the day. What are my top three tasks that I don't want to get completed for the week? And then kind of using that you know, alongside some of my digital, like planning and writing things. But journaling is always like I have a dedicated journal with like a nice pen, like a nice, like fine tip, like the really nice, like micro felt tip pen. Okay. Yeah. And so that's like, it has its own dedicated journal specifically for that. But I, in terms of tying that into personal finance and writing, one of the things that I like to talk about is building up a contentment activities list. And what I mean by that is a lot of people end up having these poor financial habits, such as overspending, Mm, which puts them into debt. Mm -hmm. And so how can you, how can you keep yourself from overspending? Because they can get into a vicious cycle as you know, you get on these minimum monthly payments and then the interest just continues to accrue. (laughs) (laughs) So how can, how can you get out of that? How can you step out of that before you want to swipe or tap your card? Is there something you can do on your contentment activities list? Contentment comes from joy that you get from doing an activity that connects with your values. Mm. What makes you you and we were already going into that like for me that's writing that's what make that's part of me i love to write so instead of going to reach out for the starbucks or spending money through a target run let me do something on my contentment activities first and so what people can do is set set a timer for like 10 minutes on your phone put on some music without stopping Write down all of the activities you enjoy doing that are free and that give you joy that reflects your values. So it could be as simple as reading a really good fiction novel. It could be going for a hike. It could be uh, swimming. It could be like for me, I really like to surf. It could be anything outdoor related. It could be baking. Maybe Mm. it's playing with your kids at the park. Just rapid fire, go through all of those activities. And then once the timer's done, look at all the activities that you put together that don't require any money. And so if you're thinking about spending again or adding to the credit card debt, do something on your contentment activities first and then reevaluate what you're feeling emotionally. Perhaps you feel more calm after you do that activity. And so I, I like using that. And I think. I created that activity because I love to write. And like you were saying, that tangible thing that you get after you're done writing down your thoughts, you're like, oh, it's concrete. This isn't just some kind of 
wow thing that was just made there. up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, is actually, this is actually something that I can take action on. So that contentment activities is part of my how to control your spending workbook. And I don't know if we can put that in the notes below, but we can. that's a workbook that I love to point people to when they have uh, when they feel a little out of control with their spending or like money's going everywhere and I can't keep track of it. Now, shout out to you for covering something that I wanted to finally meet in my life. Somebody who surfs. <laughs> that was something no way, that you crossed off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never known anybody. I've seen it before. And I'm like, I, I wonder if I know anybody. I don't know anybody until now. So I'm going to live my life vicariously through you with okay. the surfing there. We'll, we'll keep up on that one. <laughs> it, it's, I need to get back out. It's been a while. But the Pacific Ocean, it's cold, dude. Uh, it's I, so I remember. Cold. I remember. I've been. It was a long time ago I was on the West Coast. But I remember it being cold because like, I'm, I'm on the East Coast. So I, I'm used to the warm, basically bath water type you know, ocean. And then you go over there, it's yeah. like 60. And it's like, ooh. ooh yeah, who, who it's so cold. You definitely need a wetsuit <laughs> when you're going out, no matter what. <laughs> now, I want to come back to what you had talked about earlier as far as, you know, having a reserve. This is something that I think a lot of people really don't take advantage of when it comes to their own finances is that, yo, you are in full control of your expenses, okay? And I say that in the fact that when you have when you get your money, you decide who it goes to. All right. That decision is made for you. If you if you have rent, that's a you know a different story where, you know, it goes out to that person. But you still ultimately made that decision that it goes out to that person. All right. The responsible thing that everybody needs to know. And I learned at a very late age, probably, you know, like 25 is you got to have buckets. All right. And I learned that from investing, how I started investing was I it was actually in, in fifth grade. There was a teacher that came to our school and he ta he taught all the kids about stocks. And it was in fifth grade. And I remember it because the way he did it was he did it with candy companies. So out of like 20 plus students we all were able to pick from like nestle and, and whatever mars i don't know what else what it was at the time but i remember owning nestle stock <laughs> in that in that exercise so that's how he taught it to us that planted the seed for who i am today right now the buckets at what point did you realize in your life that you have to have specific buckets in order to have your debt or matter of fact, any of your finances in order. Okay. I think I realized that I needed different buckets and to, you mean like categorizing your money like this money is for this. this yes. Money is this. Okay. Yes. Uh, probably not until I started my debt-free journey in, after college. So I was 23. Okay. I did. Yeah. I, I had, I had a savings. So we both got it. Yeah, <laughs> I had a savings account and a checking account, but I wasn't really sure what the savings was used for. I was like, why do I need this? <laughs> what am I doing this for? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in the same boat. Yeah. Yep. And so then I started learning about emergency funds and why it's important to have uh, an emergency fund put in place in case of job loss. You get really sick. 
you know, the car has a, a, a major accident, whatever it may be, your, your phone, you know, falls into the pool. How are you going to replace that? So you need to have backup phones. That was the first way that I started using Bucket. So I was like, okay, I have my emergency fund. Okay. And then I have my checking account. And then as I got into my first job and started talking about employer-sponsored retirement plans, that was another bucket that I could add in and say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to have this 401k. So now I've got it into three buckets. I feel like the more that I learned about personal finance, especially like investing and then also how to save for short-term financial goals, such as a vacation or like um my boyfriend at that time, we got engaged. And so now we're planning this wedding. Okay, we're going to need money for a wedding. So there's another bucket. <laughs> so I started uh-huh. kind of adding these things and it didn't get complicated for me because I could kind of parse it out into, I guess, three major categories. So there was the investing bucket, which in of itself has its own things, right? Like your oh, retirement yep, account, yep. your brokerage account you know, your your 529 plan, whatever it may be, all these different investing, but in general, one investing bucket, then there's the savings bucket. And inside of that, then I have all these little different savings cups. I don't know if we're going with like bucket cup analogy, but I'd have different savings buckets that I started to set up. And then I had my expense bucket. That's my checking account where I'm, I'm paying my bills. Mm -hmm. This is the account where I'm paying my bills out of. This is the bucket for my savings. This is the bucket for investing. And I think that just came with time as I was learning um, more about personal finance and definitely learning more about investing after really after I paid off the debt because so much of my focus was on getting the debt paid off. And then I started really looking at transition. What else can I do besides the 401k or 403b? Mm -hmm. What else can I do? Oh, there's a Roth IRA. What's that about? How can Mm -hmm. I invest in that? Oh, there's a brokerage account in which I could potentially pull money from maybe save for down payment using a brokerage account okay, what's that look like? So that's how I think it comes in steps. If you try to put your energy all in like, you know, 20 different ways, your energy is only going to go so far. Whereas if you put your energy into one swim lane, that's going to take you really far. And so I got that debt done really quickly. So then I could focus my energy Yes. More investing strategies and really building up my network. Yes. Now, I'm a firm believer in everyone can do one thing at a time best. Okay, I think the idea of multitasking is a lie. Yeah, I I believe that for the fact that when you multitask, you're taking away the attention from something else that you could actually excel in. And that's why I believe it. I believe people can do things at multiple things at one time. However, I think if you truly want to be good, you focus on one thing, you knock it out, then you get to the next thing. That's what I believe. Yes, it's true. You you are what you focus on. And for me, at the beginning, it was debt freedom. And after that, it was really kind of building up 
building up a big an emergency emergency fund and then starting to look at my investing knowledge how can i increase yes. my investing education so one more question i got for you and it's going to go back to influences all right we talked about the the family influence all right i'm a firm believer that your five closest friends are a reflection of who you are all mm-hmm. right and it's going to be everything okay so when you went down this debt journey debt free journey i mean did you find that the friends around you changed or did they actually change with you? Okay, some of them did kind of change with me. I remember um, I have friends, uh, a married couple who I had told them about me paying off debt and everybody was in full support. Some people were like, what are you doing? Well, I don't, I don't what get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that was something that I had to kind of tell myself, like not everybody is going to understand why mm-hmm. you're doing this. But the more that I was transparent and the less that I asked of my friends, because I hate that money is a taboo topic. And I hope that because, mm, I do yeah, too. and I, and I hope that because there are more people out there creating content about personal finance, that it makes it easier for others to talk about their financial situation. I never pushed my agenda on my friends. I never asked them to do the same thing that I was. I just was open about right. my own stories and, and what I was sharing. And I remember uh, my my friends who are the married couple uh, coming to me and saying, I think we should do that. Can you tell us how you did that? And I remember uh, one of my aunts, she came to me and started telling me about her financial situation and how she wanted to get better and get her debt under control. And this is, uh, I don't know, it was a very humbling I was very grateful, but it was a very humbling experience to have one of your elders, you know, come to you and ask about how I was able to pay off the debt and could I help her? So I started to see some friends and family come to me for financial advice and just kind of explain how I paid off the debt and I could see them starting to change their thinking about how Mm -hmm. debt was in their life and what they could do to get out of it. So I saw that in, in some ways and I've counseled me, I counseled my best friend on how to get out of debt. I've like, I've counseled (laughs) so many of my friends and family now it's been really fun, but also learning that their journey is not going to look like mine. Like, Right, it's going to be different. Yeah, for they're on their own path, and they may not value this whole like debt-free lifestyle and getting out of debt as quickly as possible. So, I still have friends who have lots of credit card debt or personal loans stuff that they're trying to pay off, and I just have to meet them where they're at. And whenever they yes. are looking for support, they know I'm right here, and I give them a judgment-free zone and a private space where they can talk about their financial situation without any kind of judgment coming across from me because I I understand that everybody's situation is unique. That's amazing because when I started this journey, I first started with my base, you know, 
and a lot of my boys, we talked about things that we talk about, right? <laughs> and like you said, I do not like that money is such a taboo yeah. topic. And I think it's because a lot of people just really embarrassed about whatever situation they, they are in. Because we have this image of money that everyone's supposed to have success this way, right? This is the way that success should look, okay? <laughs> you should be able to drive this car. You should be able to dress this way. You should have this type of property. All of these things are what makes somebody going to look a specific way. And if you don't meet that, then you kind of clam up and you, you're like, well, that's not really me. Yeah. And I don't know, ha, 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 ha. You know, you, you're in the conversation, but you're not really in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... I say that because when I first started talking to my friends about it, we really didn't catch on to it. Right. But I stayed with them just like you did. You know, I I'm still here to talk about it. You know, I would drop the dimes. I dropped the seeds along the way. And here we are. Fast forward to now where they come to me about, you know, stock advice. You know, what do you think about this stock? Uh, I, let me let me look at the chart. I really don't like it. You know, that's my thing. But again, just like you, I don't push just because that's the way I do it. That's not how you should do it, all right? There's a lot of lumps and bumps that I took that I learned over time. Some people need to learn it that way, and I've learned over time that that's how some people have to learn. <laughs> I can sit here and beat you over the head like, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't buy penny stocks, you shouldn't do all this. You know what? You find your journey the same way I found mine, all right? I did the same things. I ended up coming to where I'm at now because of what I learned at that point in time, so I can be able to say something like that now. So it's very interesting on how your friends help you be who you are at this point in time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like you were saying, did any of my friends, like I'm trying to think, did my debt-free journey have a negative impact on my relationships with my, my friends and family? And I don't think so. I do remember having a conversation with a friend where she was talking about her student loan debt and that she was just like, she kind of gave up and said, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm just going to have the debt. I'm just going to be paying and it forever. Exactly. Yep. And I was trying to get her to see that it did not have to be that way. Uh, but ultimately she was closed to the idea that it could be different. And I realized that if I was going to continue to push her that this would cause some friction in the, in the friendship. And mm. so I said, you know, this is not a path for everybody and I need to be okay with knowing that my friends are going to make their own decisions. Because <laughs> yes. sometimes I feel yes. like I want to just take control and be like, if only you did it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is the struggle that I deal with as oh, well. Oh yeah. It used to make me upset. I, I feel like I can do I, I used it. to get so mad. I, I used to be. The, I'd just yes, say like, yes. if, if I, you just stop doing this, stop putting things on the card, only pay for things with your debit card. It's so yeah, simple. Just, like I see the path for you, but the, like I was saying, everybody's situation is unique and not everybody is in the same mindset as you are. And so yes. I liked how you said you dropped the seeds, drop, you know, drop little dimes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all I can do. I mean, it's going to hit the soil. It's either going to germinate or it's not, yeah. you know, I can't, I can't water it. I can't put sunlight to it for yeah. you. I can put it there and we'll yeah. see what happens. 
But I'm I'm also a believer in energy. You only have so much. You know, a good friend of mine, Bakari, we talk about this often. You only have so many heartbeats, okay? You don't even know what that number is. So one day you can have 52 Tuesdays left, okay? You have no idea, all right? So with that being said, you always guard your energy as much as possible. And that's why I'm so easygoing because, eh, okay, that's how it is. If it's going to come back to me, you know what? It'll come back to me because that's how energy works. It will attract itself back to me at some point in time if it's meant for me. And if it's not, I accept that <laughs> because it doesn't. everything doesn't need to be for me. I'm cool. I'm content with what I have. I'm totally happy in my little space. The less drama I got to deal with makes it easier for me. Yes. <laughs> and then that passes on to my kids, my wife, everybody's in a good space. That's how life should be. Yeah. All right. And then speaking of the kids, you mentioned the children's book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I am also a firm believer on talking with your children about finances because like you and I talked about earlier, I had no idea about buckets, all right? And whatever terminology somebody else may use it as, cool. But it's a way that you allocate money to specific purposes, all right? And I'm teaching my children at a very young age. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old, okay? And I started talking to them about finance when they were two, all right? <laughs> and that's how early I believe that people can actually start talking to their child because they comprehend things better than you may know they comprehend things, all right? And do not put them at a disadvantage thinking that it is too over their head. I'm not saying talk calculus, but you can simply say, if I buy this, I have to use this, and this is what I get back. And they can see the transaction, the experience. So at an early age, I got my kids bank accounts with cards so they can go to the store, they can use it, they can get the experience of seeing what it is to get money yeah. back or all that good stuff. This is all things that they have to know because this is the world we live mm -hmm. in. All right. So what age? I know you said your book is for eight and mm -hmm. up. But what age do you think is a suitable age to start talking to children Gosh, about okay. finance? Man, this is a good question because I just uh, I have a one year old daughter. So I consider myself okay. a new mom. <laughs> I'm like. When do it's, it's I know fun. I know I need to learn from you. <laughs> what, what are some things that I can do? I love the idea of going into the store with my daughter, and she is definitely. I've I've been in the grocery store before where she just reaches out for an apple and starts eating the apple like off yeah, of yeah. the <laughs> off of the shelf. I'm like, no, 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 Quinn, we have yep. to purchase this first. And so I think that would that's a really good good exercise is to take her through the store and show her, okay, you want this? Here's what we need to do in order to buy this. Look, I'm going to hand yes. over this money to the cashier. She's going to give me my change back and we, we can take this home with us and showing her that whole system of using currency mm -hmm. Because like currency, honestly, is kind of a relatively new thing before we were trading sheep for horses. <laughs> and then, <laughs> we were doing a barter system doing the at barter that system, time. And then we were yeah. doing like precious metals, but nobody wanted to walk around yep. with like 
50 pounds of like, <laughs> big yeah, gold. Nugget, yeah. gold. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. And now, you know, take away bills and coins. We're using literally digital currency. We're using our phones yes. as currency, which yes. is like, it's cool, but it's, it's weird. Like crypto. Now we're using cryptocurrency. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine a day where we just have no bills and coins? I think it's a real possibility. I think it is a very real possibility because I mean, we already are living in that digital age yeah. right now where we got oh, I got right now at least seven different cards. Right. At any point in time, I have them. Do I use them all? No, I have a primary two or three, but the other ones were signed up because I got an account. OK. What was it? Square. All right. Square gives you an account. Okay. I need a card in order to access my square. Okay. Now I have that. All right. Now I have my margin account. Okay. You want to use your margin money? You can use this card. All right. Sign me up for that. <laughs> I got all of these yeah. cards and I keep them organized. But again, I don't use them that often. But we are in a digital yeah. age where this is the way we use money. Money is stored somewhere. You have access to it through this little piece yeah. of plastic. I, I totally got us off on a tangent there with like how our currency has evolved. But I think going back to your original question about like what age you should be teaching your kids about finances. I love the idea of starting it young and you're so right. Yes. A two-year-old and even my daughter, she'll be two in a couple of months. She understands okay. so much of what we say, even though she can't verbalize it just quite yet right, or right. her sentence structure is literally just like two words she understands what i'm asking of her what i'm telling her so mm -hmm. i think that would be fun to do an exercise like that with her in the store do it do it as soon as possible and i got to the age of two because that's where i read that a lot of children start to soak up from two to three is their biggest leap yeah of oh my gosh yeah. and they soak up so much at that point so why not teach them finance you know like i said it's not it doesn't have to be anything super difficult it's just a simple exchange that's all you show what the process yeah. is and they get you it could, you could even start the the bucket idea uh early on with maybe having physical tiny little buckets for them and then if you were to say okay either you get this allowance or you get a job assigned to you and you get paid after mm -hmm. your work is complete how are you going to split this into your bucket maybe you have a spend bucket a savings bucket and a giving bucket so like <laughs> how are you going to divide up the money divide up, into yep. these different buckets that'd be a cool idea I might have to implement that because they, they have a bucket. It's just a piggy bank. That's all. <laughs> it, everything goes into it. And the only reason why they have that is because, again, I'm, I'm showing them the value of money. Yeah. Right. If you want to go get something. Yeah, sure. Daddy can get it for you. But you have your own money. So now you need to understand how to budget it. I'm teaching them budgeting right now. You only have so much money. I'll give you 20 bucks of your money. OK, we'll go into Target. This is all you have, okay? You cannot overspend it. And when they go cash out, I try to tell them, don't spend all of your 20, try to get some of it back. You know, I'm trying to get them to understand that if you spend all of your money, you have nothing. So you should try to use it as best as possible. Yeah. 
don't blow all the twenties basically all the yes, time. To yes, yes. Because I got three, and if all three of them are blowing twenties now, I'm in trouble. You are in trouble. <laughs> oh my God. I don't need that problem at that point yeah. in time. All right, so I got one last question for you. All right, and this one's gonna be hip hop related, oh okay? okay? And yeah, this one's gonna be because like I said I'm from Brooklyn. I'm I'm 100% hip hop. All right, Love first it. artist I remember hearing was Big Daddy Kane, and I remember hearing the record on on the radio. And I remember saying the curse words and all that. My mom popped me in the mouth all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I am a, a firm believer also that music is an influence. All right. There's a lot of influences in your life. They all merge to help you be who you are. So is there something from hip hop that you took from it and helped you in your personal finance goal? Or is there something in hip hop that hurt you in your personal Mm, finance goal? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I love listening to music as kind of a motivator throughout my day or when I'm working on kind of mindless tasks I put on music. Some of the earliest hip hop that I listened to was from Aaliyah and like Ashanti, TLC. I loved listening to them. Like, I don't know. We got late 90s in the house. Yeah, like there's a (laughs) a playlist on Spotify called I Love My 90s R&B and I, that's one of my all-time favorite playlists on Spotify. I think for me, kind of gravitating towards strong women was really empowering to me, especially seeing strong women in hip hop, which traditionally was male dominated. I mean, you think about like some of the early days of just like, you know, Ice T or, you know, Easy E. Huge Ice T fan. <laughs> like, you know, all of those guys, while I think like Dre and like all of those guys definitely paved the way for hip hop, I loved seeing women step into that industry and into hip hop. And I think that was really inspiring for me, like career wise, that maybe I can step into personal finance, which was also traditionally dominated by men and how can I put my voice to that and my spin on that so yeah I I loved I loved listening to them like you know Whitney Houston not not hip-hop she's not really hip-hop but like I think about like Mariah Carey and those were just some artists that like Mariah Carey especially oh my gosh I just could listen to her over and over again so and she getting ready to make her next million again from the same song she recorded in 1992. The legend. <laughs> she is a legend. And the royalty checks are Yeah, coming. but now you're yep. seeing new voices out there like Cardi B and, you know, yes. Lizzo. I freaking love Lizzo. And I love seeing that continuation and the evolution of women in hip hop. So I think that's kind of what I gravitate towards because it's not, not so much like the finances yes like there is entrepreneurship that goes into that but Mm -hmm. also kind of taking a chance i list i was listening to an interview from uh david letterman interviewing cardi b and how she did not want to record a song and like develop her career as a 
as a rapper or as a as a musical mm. artist. And so she was really pushed by one of her managers at the time is like, let's just record this song. She's like, oh, okay. And now look at her, like that's what she's <laughs> known for. Like that's insane, whether you like her or not, that is just insane. She just took a chance and was like, okay, screw it. I'm just gonna record and see what happens. Yeah. I love it. I think as far as women in, in hip hop, I think the greatest, in my opinion, is Missy Elliott. Oh God, how I could I that. forget about Missy Elliott? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, Missy was pretty much the first female artist that I would purchase an album of. And I, not to say that I don't like female artists, but she was, you know, I, got, I still have CDs. That's how old yeah, I am yeah. too. They're sitting over there. Gossip folk. And... <laughs> but I, I used to buy Missy Elliott CDs. Shame me if you want, but I used to love buying no, Missy Elliott CDs. No, she's good too. I thought she was very entertaining. I, I loved her too. She And yeah. Oh my gosh, so good. Man, now I need to, this is what I'm gonna listen to for the rest of the afternoon, for real. <laughs> I love music, I love music of all genres. I grew up on hip hop and I believe that it helps shape who I am right now. There's a lot of dumb things that I've did with my money because I saw videos with chains and cars yeah. and all sorts of things that, you know, I look back at it now like, mm, why on earth did I spend money on this stupidity? Wish I could have it back. But again, I embrace the struggle, right? The struggle is embraced for the fact that it makes me who I am now. So I can be able to show people who are behind me that want to go down this path or looking to do it, that they can. All right. I am 100% humble. I'm no different than anybody whatsoever. I learned the stock market all on my own. I reached out. That's because I wanted to. All right. You, this is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to say, why can I not do this? You know, we'll, we'll wrap it up in a second. But last story here is when I was growing up and I remember very clearly in the sixth grade, I was in Virginia and they had pictures. They had pictures up along the classroom wall and there was an astronaut there. And as a kid, I love, love space, love planet, stars, all of that stuff. Super nerd, whatever you want to call me, it's all good. <laughs> but I loved it. And in sixth grade, I said to myself, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then one of my friends told me black kids aren't astronauts. Mm. All right. Still hurts me to this mm. day. Mm -hmm. And I did not. And right then, switch was right off. I was like, he's right. And then I never pursued it after that. I still have a passion for it. I still love it. I still like, you know, I got the little Google app where, you know, me and my kids look up. But that story right there is how I know what I'm doing is going to eventually mean something to somebody. All right. Because there's going to be a kid who wants to trade stocks or want to get involved in something to do something financial. And someone's going to come along to them and say, black kids don't do that. And then they're going to see me and they're going to say, that's not true. And that's exactly why I embrace my struggle. So thank you again for coming on the show. I truly appreciate you. And if you haven't heard how I do things on my show, I use the word love a lot. All right. And that's because I lost a lot of people along my way. And if I tell somebody I love them, it's not because of anything other than the fact that I want the best possible for you. All right. So 
Justine, I love you. I love your husband. I love your child. I love everything that you're doing. This is something that is amazing. You're going to do great things. You're going to continue to do great things because I appreciate you coming on my show, spending some time with me. Much love to you and everybody that you love. I wish the best for them. So thank you for coming on. Thank you on. so much. All right. So that's it. Let's check out Justine on her channel, YouTube. We recently did a collab. I'm, su I'm surprised we didn't even talk about that. We just had such a great conversation. I completely forgot about that collaboration. We did a collaboration together. Um, after I reached out to her, she you know, graciously accepted and I, I thanked her for it. And we did some work. And if time permits in our futures again, our synergies will meet, we'll do something else. And I look forward to yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But thank you again for that. Absolutely, check out that video. And yes, check that video out on my page, her page, both of them. And we will catch you next time, all right? Thank, thank you. you. Extro, Justine, uh, let's go, yo. Stocks and bars is the stock market Money mixed with hip-hop and Never done like this, I'm in a league of my own Plenty M's out here waiting and I'm showing you how to get them Teaching to be the victor instead of playing the victim Learn the rules, play the game, stop blaming the system That was never given clear signs designed to give you mixed ones I grew up in my culture with rappers rapping about big guns I used to pack a Mac in the back of the act like big pun Now I'm out here leading and teaching how to make big fun Name a podcast that's doing this show, I'm true to this Add mine to the list, pencil down cause your list done I'm the only one rapping about stocks and telling you to get some Me and Justine finished discussing but what's deemed Necessary for you to grow to be who you must be Embracing your struggle can hurt sometimes it cuts deep Your best life isn't far away, you need to just leave Stocks, stocks and bars is the stock market Money, money, money mixed with hip hop and Name a podcast that's doing this show I'm true to this Your best Your best life isn't far away You need to just leave Stocks and bars Stocks